Okay, good morning. Barbara and I are delighted to be here this morning. We uh, did see Jeff and Ketty. I'm not sure where they're at back there in Alaska. And that was a joy to see them this summer. And I know they have some caribou meat that uh, has to be eaten. <laughs> so it's always great to see believers. We saw many believers around the country as we've been traveling. Uh, the Mains, Greg Mains, you've probably heard here speak before. Uh, they send their greetings from Arizona. Well, the text I've chosen today that the Lord has placed in my heart is uh, Philippians 4, 4 through 7. And this text has a special prominence in my life because it's ministered to me in so many places all over the world as I face situations about my faith and about my walk with Christ. And I'd like to actually give a, uh, a paraphrase of this text that I feel makes a little bit more uh, personal sense to me, not that the text itself is in any way de uh, de diminished, but I thought I'd try a paraphrase just to see if I can bring it home a little bit to us, because I think this passage is just so rich in Christ and so important for us to, to sense about how to walk with him. So listen to this paraphrase, and it's not inspired, it's just an attempt to try to bring it down to a, a practical level. Uh, make it your chief concern to find your true joy with the Lord at all times. Let me repeat that for you. Celebrate your risen Lord all day, every day. Revel in Him alone. Let your gracious gentleness abound and touch everyone you encounter. Why? Because our Lord is so very present in this encounter, and he is so close to returning as well. Never allow any anxious cares to overwhelm you. Alone, before the very face of God, pour out your every concern and sincere prayer to him with a genuinely thankful heart. If you do this, then you will experience the indescribable gift of God's peace. This peace will be the strongest refuge for your mind and heart always. And that's an extended version, and I'll try to uh, elaborate on some of this. You know, the Philippian church, many people say, was Paul's most loved church. And, and we get that feeling as you read the letter and as you hear references throughout the book of Acts. This was a special church for Paul. He had planted many with many uh, people, but the, the Philippian church seemed to have a special location in his heart. And just as a, a brief background, why was it that this church was so beloved by Paul? Well, one, he was on the journey, he was called over from a man from Macedonia, come on over and help us. And in that Macedonian call, the Philippian church was planted. If you recall, they went to the riverside, they met Lydia, who was praying, and she accepts Christ, invites them into her community, and they begin to proclaim the gospel in Philippi, which is a Roman colony, a very special place for Rome to establish. There's a, a slave girl who's given prophecies, making money for her owners, and they don't like the fact that the gospel's being preached and the their money is not coming in as well. And they have them brought before the magistrates and they're, they're punished and, and beaten. 
they actually end up jail and they're, and they're in the middle of the night they're singing and praising God after that beating singing hymns of, of love and faith to Christ and we know that an earthquake happens the jailer is about ready to commit kill himself and Paul screams out don't do it don't do it we're here we're all safe and he becomes a Christian he invites Paul and, his, and Silas into his house washing their wounds that's how bad their persecution was and they accept Christ and the church is formed the magistrates come after Paul and say okay you guys are free you're free to go we didn't know you're Roman citizens and Paul says wait a minute we're not leaving until you publicly bring us out of jail before the people. So he was using his Roman citizenship for the cause of Christ. They go back to Lydia's house, and the church is formed. That's the genesis of Philippines, of the Philippian church, and it's the beginning of this amazing relationship of love between the people of God and the people who gave the gospel to them. And they supported Paul oftentimes with many gifts and many believers that came and helped them on the journey. Now the Philippian church was special in that Paul wanted them to be unified in the faith and a conflict had arisen in the church between two women, Euodia and Syntyche, and he appeals to them to make peace with each other in the Lord. And then this passage follows from that. So there's a conflict, there's a, a, a statement that you should think about your name being written in the book of life, and then he enters into Philippians 4. Now the best expression, I think, of Philippians 4 is the shepherds who are experienced the life of the birth of Jesus. Remember the shepherds out in Bethlehem? The angel comes to them and says, <clears throat> a, a, the Savior is being born. It's a cause for great joy to all people. And the shepherds go and visit Mary and Joseph and the babe. And they come away just overjoyed by the presence of Christ. But what do they do? They go about and tell people about the fact that the Messiah has come and that great joy has come into their lives. But they go back to shepherding. We don't hear much about them at all in the rest of the scripture. But they are the ones who see the Savior as a little baby boy. And throughout their lives, they are experiencing the love and joy of Christ, even though he has not been crucified. So here in, in Romans or in Philippians, the Christian is commanded to rejoice with the Lord at all times. The Christian is commanded to rejoice with the Lord at all times. Now Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I want to clarify why Paul is saying this. He's not just saying be happy in Jesus all the time, that you have to be on this high level of emotional happiness. What Paul is actually saying here is, is significant. He says our joy, our complete satisfaction, is to be in the Lord, is to be with the Lord at all times. And that means when I'm down, it means when I'm persecuted, thrown in jail, it means when people are against me, it means when there's conflict. My disposition is to be in the Lord and receiving the joy from the Lord, just like the shepherds. They didn't change their jobs. They didn't change their, their still probably poor shepherds. But now they had the joy of Christ. So Paul says, this is a command. I'm asking, and asking the Philippian church 
to be joyful in Christ at all times. Now, Paul is probably writing this as a prisoner chained to a Roman guard. He probably has a person writing this letter for him. And we know ink and, and papyrus were precious in the day. And so Paul's, as he's writing this letter, he's thinking about, what do I say to this Philippian church? There's been a conflict between these two great women who helped me in the gospel. And I'm appealing to them to come together in the Lord. And now I want to finish this letter. So I imagine Paul pacing around in a small Roman prison there. And he's thinking about what to say. And he says, Find your complete, absolute satisfaction in Christ Jesus, Philippian church. Always. And as I'm chained to this guard, I want you to know that my love is for you. But here's the interesting thing. After this command that Paul gives, he's, I, I imagine him stopping for a moment, talking to his writer. He says, you know, I've got to repeat this. I can't let the Philippians get away with just one mention of this command. This is so important that they understand that their complete satisfaction is not found in their jobs. It's not found in the next election of Caesar. It's not found in how they feel today. It's not found in whether their sports team wins. I want them to know that the love that I have for them and the love that Christ has for them is something to be joyful about because their names are written in the book of life. Right before this text, he says, your names are in the book of life. Before that, he says, our citizenship, the place where we will be, is in heaven. I want to impress upon the Philippians that our joy is in Christ Jesus alone as I'm suffering in this prison and as I suffered for them when the church was planted. So this is where I come up with this interesting paraphrase. Um, let me repeat that for you. I see Paul envisioning this. Let me just say this once again. Rejoice in the Lord. Find your satisfaction in Christ and in the people of God. So he gives this command twice. And it is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not an encouragement. We are actually commanded to find our satisfaction and joy in Christ. Now, this isn't a shallow uh, happiness, positive energy thing that you hear the world talking about. This is taking all that God has for us in Christ, the incomparable riches of Christ that Paul talks about in Ephesians, and entering into those riches, saying, Lord, I want the riches of Christ in my life. I want what you have for me by faith, and I want those to be part of my life. I want those to be uh, such that I rejoice in Christ. So the Christian says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praises. I will trust in his holy name. Joy goes down deep into our bones. When you've lost a loved one, when your pain is more than you can bear, when your emotions are all over the place, the joy of Christ goes deep, deep down into our bones, and it's something that we can't manipulate. It's not something that we can orchestrate. It's something that the Holy Spirit gives to you at the moment that you need that, which is every moment, every day. 
So as you are walking with Christ, as you're facing difficulties, persecutions, challenges, self-doubt, conflict, the Holy Spirit is saying, come to me. Come to me and receive the incomparable riches of grace for this moment and find your satisfaction and joy. God doesn't promise that he's going to take away our circumstances. God doesn't promise that that person that's in your life that's causing irritation and conflict will be taken away. But what God does promise is that he will give you the joy of Christ deep down in your Christian bones. And that's where you should find your satisfaction, not in the, in the world and not in something besides Christ. It's Christ alone. He is our joy and he is our satisfaction. Notice that in moments of, of severe brokenness, what happens? It goes there with our Savior nailed to his tree. Christ Jesus himself on the tree, Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So there's nothing in this world that can take the joy of Christ away from me or away from you. Our job is merely to say, Lord, help me to rejoice in you. Help me to be rejoice in you, in the Lord, in the riches of Christ that God has given me. C.S. Lewis says that joy is the serious business of heaven. And that many of us are so earthly-minded, we are no heavenly good. Paul reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven. We live for Christ, we work for Christ, we worship with Christ, and our citizenship is in heaven. So the Christian has this continual presence of Christ in his life, in her life. And we accept this gift as believers walking with the Holy Spirit, and we do so in community. Within the community of Christ, we all face the love of Christ. We rejoice in the love of Christ this morning. We know that we're in a world that wants Jesus' presence silenced. Joy will not be silenced. Christ cannot be silenced. The Christian community cannot be silenced because we are in relationship with the living God the resurrected king. Paul the apostle says, you were seated with Christ when he was raised from the dead. And that same resurrection joy is now ours in Christ Jesus. And we have all the gifts of heaven at our disposal, all the joy of heaven. So Paul says, rejoice in the Lord, we who serve God in his spirit. Jesus says, that you, must, you may have the full measure of my joy within you. Barb and I are reading a book called The Second Mountain by a public uh, individual named David Brooks, works with PBS, the New York Times. For five years, he went through a deep crisis, through a divorce and questioning who he was. And he kept running into these people that had joy. They, he would meet them and they would be not involved with the world's conflicts in a way, but they had this interior joy that just kept coming out of them. And eventually he realized that most of those people are Christians. And he begins to 
explore the Christian faith. He comes from a Jewish background. And people began to send him books. He got 300 books by Christians, 100 of which were Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And I'm not going to spoil the, the book, but he ends up meeting a Christian wife and uh, marries her. But the fact that here is a man that's in the public image looking for joy and he finds it in Christians is amazing to me. And it's so encouraging to me. Next, Paul gives us this command. He says, um, let your gracious gentleness be known to all men, for the Lord is near. Let your gracious gentleness abound and touch everyone you encounter. Now, I want you to think about this transition. Paul has just asked the Philippians, he's just asked Christians to rejoice in the Lord at all times. How does his mind go from that command to another command to let our gracious gentleness be known to all people? What do you think he's thinking about? He's thinking about something like the shepherds who experienced Jesus as a young boy, that that was the Messiah, and that great joy will come to all people. And now they become the carriers of joy to the world. My own dad became a Christian through the testimony of an eight-year-old or nine-year-old orphan boy in the Korean War. And that boy was joyful. He jumped up and down when he heard when my dad said he was a Christian, which he wasn't. He was so happy that he'd met a Christian. And that little boy told my dad, or my dad saw in him joy. And he said, that boy has something I don't have. So Paul, I believe, is thinking this way. He's saying, if you experience the joy of Christ, people will be attracted to your joy, your deep joy. You don't have to be Paul. You don't have to be any great public Christian. But you do have to be a Christian in your circumstances, whether it's a mother or a grandmother. Now Paul goes to this next phase, if you will. And he says, with that joy, let the grace of God that is now become part of your life, express itself in gentle, gracious relationships with others at all times with everyone you encounter. As I was reflecting on this message up in Alaska, where Barb and I were living with some pretty interesting pagans, it was often hard to be gracious and gentle with people who were cursing the name of our Savior, who had no liking whatsoever for the Christian faith. In fact, they despised it. And Barb and I were called to express the grace and the gentleness of Christ to them at all times. Think about this. What if you began daily to say, Lord, help me express the gracious gentleness of Jesus to everybody I meet today, whether it's in line at the grocery store, whether it's at that cantankerous person who makes you upset, what if I expressed the gracious gentleness of Christ to them in every encounter? And you would see things happen because they would begin to see, wow, this person's different. He doesn't have an agenda. She doesn't have an agenda. She actually cares for me. And notice what happens here that Paul says. He says, when you let this gracious gentleness towards all people come to you, you're, you're reflecting the life of Jesus. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul appeals to this quality in Jesus as a means of defending his ministry. He says, 
by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I come to you. Christ was a gentle person. He was a humble person. He was fearless in the face of opposition. But what does he say to the rich young ruler who comes to him? When this man came to him and said, you know, I've done all the commandments. What do I do now? And the text says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He was pouring out that gracious compassion and gentleness on that rich young ruler who eventually rejected Christ's call. But Jesus loved this man. Here was a man who was seeking God and he wanted to know from Christ what to do. What about the holy gentleness that Jesus gives to the woman caught in adultery in John 8? All the accusers are there. They're pointing at her. She's caught in the very act of adultery. Christ says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone and they disperse. And then from that moment to the time he engages the, the, the woman, there's a holy gentleness that takes place. Go and sin no more and follow me. So that spirit of gracious, holy gentleness is part of our Savior's work, and that's the result of joy. But it is a command. It is a command. Paul says that you should have a gentle disposition towards all people at all times, and that's a command. I'm not going to minimize that. It's not just a suggestion. The Holy Spirit is asking you to be this way towards all people. Now, the reason Paul says that we should be uh, graciously gentle towards all people is because the Lord is near. Now, this is an interesting part of the text that I think I find fascinating. It's not really clear whether we're to be graciously gentle towards people because the Lord's presence is with us or because the Lord is near and coming. You see the difference? One says, because the presence of the Lord, the joy of Christ in your life through difficulties and circumstances, you're still joyful in Christ. People can see the nearness of the Lord. That's why we're to be gracious and gentle. Or, Philippians, you know that the Lord is coming soon. So do everything you can in your, in your lives to share the love of Christ in a gentle way. Both of those are good possibilities. I'd like to propose something to you. I believe the Lord uses our difficulties, our conflicts, our trials in a way that far surpasses anything we imagine. Barbara and I have shared our daughter Allison's story with so many people, our daughter that passed away that's severely disabled. It's an open door almost everywhere we go. And we talk about how the Holy Spirit sustained us in those 17 years. We talk about how the community of faith sustained us for 17 years. I like to talk about how God gave a coincidence miracle on the day of her death to my unbelieving uh, atheist friends. And I ask them, do you think that was a miracle? And they, they're silent. I'll tell you that miracle sometime. But God uses our difficult circumstances, our trials, our conflicts, if we are trusting him, to open up doors so that others can see Christ in us. That's my, my proposal. So the Lord is near because of his presence in our lives, but also the very real fact that Christ is coming soon. Also the very real fact that we don't know when he's coming and we don't know the end of our days. So the Lord is calling us 
to accept these commands from, from Paul, to be rejoicing in Christ in all circumstances, and to let our gracious humility be a disp disposition towards all. Now Paul continues, and he says that we are to pray thankfully always, especially during anxiety. Be anxious for nothing, the text says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Paul mentions three different words for prayer. We might say it's petitions, it's requests, it's praying, but it all has to do with coming before the face of God individually and saying, Lord, I give you thanks, and here's what I need. Paul says, come before, come before the Lord always for everything. Whatever it is you need, pray with thanksgiving. Now, why do you think Paul mentions thanksgiving? In the deepest, darkest moments of your prayer, why do you think Paul is asking you to be thankful? Well, first, just the fact that we can pray. Imagine if we couldn't pray like an unbeliever. Imagine if we didn't have access to the very throne of God when we prayed. Imagine if we didn't think God existed. Imagine what prayer is as a highway to heaven. And that every moment of my day, I have access to the living and true God who knows all things about me, who has planned salvation for me, who has my citizenship name in heaven. Imagine if I didn't have that. So I'm thankful. One day I came home as a young man. I think I was in my teens, or maybe a little older. And my dad, whom I love and admire with Christ now, he was sitting in his favorite chair, and he was smiling a little bit like a Cheshire cat. And he and I had this great relationship. We're always playing jokes with each other. And so I walked in, and he said, I found it. I said, what did you find, Dad? I found it. I said, well, Dad, what did you find? He said, I found the answer. Now, he's a solid Christian at the time, and he's playing with me. And I, see, I said, well, tell me about it. He said, it's Hebrews 11.6. I said, okay. And that says, without faith... It is impossible to please God. For the person who comes to God must believe that God exists and that God rewards those who diligently seek him. He had found it. Our lives can be thankful because we know God exists and we know that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So we can be thankful that Christ hears us. So Paul, again, gives another command. Pray thankfully, pray always, pray especially during anxious times, and God will hear us. Present all your requests to God at all times. Give him all your needs. Give him everything you can think about, and make sure you do that all the time. So the Christian is like a praying machine. We should be interrupted and say, you know, Jonathan, where are you? Oh, sorry, I was praying. The Christian is constantly in prayer. That doesn't mean we don't work. doesn't mean we don't eat. But the Lord is trying to teach us that we pray constantly, everywhere, at all times. So one of the things that I do is when I see a person 
for that day, usually for the first time, I just offer up a word of prayer. If it's a non-Christian, I say, Lord, help me to be graciously gentle with this person. And I begin to pray for people that come into my life throughout the day, especially if I haven't seen them for a long time. I say, Lord, you brought this person in my life. What do you want me to do? It's just a simple prayer. But it's helped me a lot. It's helped me to realize that my life is involved with Christ's kingdom. And when God brings someone into my life, boom, there we go. So the Christian is encouraged, challenged, and commanded to pray at all times. Paul says in Ephesians, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. And I just love Pastor Cabot's prayer over the church grounds. That was great to hear. So in my prayers, in my request, is thankfulness one of the chief ingredients? May I challenge you that today. Is thankfulness one of the chief ingredients? Do I even use the words thank you and thankfully in my speech instead of luckily or by chance? Do I say thanks be to God for his indescribable gift? Now lastly, Paul gives a promise here in, in Philippians 4, 7. He says, if you pray thankfully, if you present your request to God, then as a result, the peace of God, which transcends every possible human understanding of everything, the peace of God, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul's coming to the end of this exhortation. He's given us three commands, and then he says the reward for that will be the peace of Christ. There's no way you can describe it. There's no way you can beat it. There's no way you can do away with it. The Christian who is in the peace of Christ experiences Jesus himself. Remember Jesus says, my peace I give unto you. My peace. Think of the Apostle Paul. He, he and Silas are beat up in prison. What do they do? They worship and praise God while their wounds are still bleeding. They're praising God in the midst of an earthquake. You can't take the joy and the peace and the love of Christ away from a Christian. When, when the Christian gets a hold of the peace of Christ, there's nothing that can disturb her. So the Lord says through Paul, you will be given the peace of Christ if you follow these commands. If you rejoice in Christ at all times, if you give gracious gentleness to all people at all times, and if you pray always at all times with thanksgiving, you will experience the peace of Christ. Now here's the, the benefit. The peace of Christ will guard your heart and your mind. It will protect your heart and it will protect your mind. How will it do that? The Holy Spirit will give you a sense that this circumstance, this person, this anxiety has no power over me. The Holy Spirit will say to you, uh, brother or sister, this circumstance that you're in, this situation you're in, has no power over you because you have Christ. You have Christ Jesus. And that peace will guard your soul, your emotions. Wherever your emotion is at that time, the Holy Spirit will guard it through the, whole, through the peace of Christ. 
It will guard your mind when you're doubtful. When you begin to question, <clears throat> is the Christian faith true? When you begin to question, am I in Christ? The Holy Spirit will give you the peace of Christ, which transcends all human understanding. And you'll find in Christ Jesus that everything you have, the riches of Christ, are there for you. He will always supply what you need when you ask. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let me close in prayer. Father, we give you thanks today that we have such a Savior, such a Messiah, as the shepherds experienced him. Lord, I thank you for the Apostle Paul and his willingness to lay down his life on behalf of the Philippians. I thank you, Lord, for these scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit of God so that we today in 2019 can rejoice in Christ, can give our lives to others in Christ, and we can be thankful and prayerful in Christ Jesus so that we experience the peace of Jesus daily. Lord, thank you for LifeSpring. Thank you for all that you are doing through this church and this community. And we pray that you would pour out a spirit of love and a spirit of joy and a spirit of peace upon this church, that they may be like the Philippian church, constantly giving joy to you. Lord, just bless us today. Fill us with the, the kindness and grace of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen.